This is Annie Berglund, cat owner, struggling vegan, and teacher of animal ethics. And you're listening to Seeing Animals, a little project to highlight the lesser known spaces where animals exist. Because I believe that when we start seeing animals, we start caring about them. Hello from Sandstone, Minnesota. This is Annie, and I am with Tammy Thies, founder of the Wildcat Sanctuary. Thank you so much for having me. I know that it's a privilege that I can be here. Um, There aren't many members of the public that are able to tour this area and to see the Wildcats, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but it's really, really good to meet you, especially as the founder. Well, it's awesome to have you here. We love to share the work we're doing and to help um, educate people so that they make better decisions for themselves and animals. Yes, thank you. I feel like driving up, it it almost felt like driving into Jurassic Park. It's like <laughs> a very remote, I mean, we're an hour and a half from the Twin Cities, so not that far. Um, and there's definitely houses nearby, but it feels really remote. You go into the front gate and there's these big enclosures and animals that could rip off my face if they wanted <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, sadly... Uh, We love the work we do, but we have to have animals live life behind fences, which is Mm. our goal of not needing to rescue animals that we do in the future, but giving them the best life possible here at the sanctuary, why they are living with us. Um, So for the podcast, we've already interviewed and listeners have heard from sanctuaries that house farm animals, that house um, companion animals with special needs. And sanctuaries for exotic animals, and there are quite a few. There's like mm-hmm. bat, crocodile, yeah. elephant sanctuaries around the states, um, and many exotic cat sanctuaries as well. These places are established to sustain mainly exotic animals that have been domesticated. Or tried to be, is what we say. is um, We call it captive or... Yeah, trying to make them a companion animal or an entertainment animal when they're really an apex predator. So you can see that doesn't work a lot of the times, and that's why sanctuaries exist. Yes, exactly. Um, I kind of love this idea because it's a really good example for listeners of a very terrible way that humans interact with animals, and then your way to try to um, overcome that and provide an alternative. Um, and and you were talking with me a little earlier about how this is a Band-Aid, right? Yes. I mean, here at the sanctuary, we take in everything from tigers, lions, African servals, which a lot of people (laughs) haven't heard of, to little hybrid cats. Um, We take them in from the entertainment industry. We take them in from roadside zoos that close down, uh, authorities seized due to cruelty and neglect. But we also take in a lot that people tried to make a companion animal or a pet. Um, And we... We try to give them some of their freedoms back because this is what I say for an example. Uh, we just got a bobcat in, and she is four-paw declawed. We've had a bobcat that's four-paw declawed, her teeth removed, and she was living in a basement kennel. Mm-hmm. And I said, why did you buy a bobcat? Well, I love bobcats so much, this person said. This is my dream, and I just thought if I loved her enough, she would love me back. And I said, so you love a bobcat. Do you know a bobcat lives in the wild? It has teeth. It has claws. It loves to be outside. It ambushes its prey. You bought a bobcat, put it in your house, removed all its teeth and claws, didn't let it outdoors. You took away everything that you just told me you loved about that animal. And sadly, we see that over and over in the entertainment industry and in the pet ownership. And so our job is to give them a little bit back a piece of being wild at heart. Yes, excellent. 
Could you tell us a little bit about why this is your passion and how you got here to found such a sanctuary? Yeah, what's really interesting is I didn't grow up knowing I was going to open a big cat sanctuary. I was in the advertising industry and I was going to run the corporate ladder (laughs) and um, live in the big city. And when I was in um, the industry for TV, I saw how animals were used in entertainment and it really disturbed me. I didn't know it disturbed me because I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm. But when I saw tigers being used in uh, TV commercials and being transported in crates and being pulled around with leashes, and um, when they acted like little tiger cubs, they got poked and prodded. And I just thought, this is inhumane. Mm. And I always think if it was a popelly pig or a parrot that day, the sanctuary I had would be very different um, because I just thought this isn't right. And when I reached out to authorities and other people, I learned that for an $80 permit, anybody could have a commercial tiger license. For $80? For $80 through the USDA. Uh, um. And you didn't need experience. Um, They've changed a little bit of it, but they're still pretty weak, which is a whole other reason why we see such the captive wildlife crisis we do. And that day, I actually reached out to the trainer. I went back to see where the animals were living. I actually volunteered for a while thinking I could make things better. And all these cats that were going to festivals and auto shows and TV commercials were in 10 by 10 pens in a pole building with no stimulation, Mm. nothing to do. Um, and we learned it was perfectly legal. And that's when I decided, well, if nobody's going to do something, I guess I'm naive enough to try. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's really convicting too, because part of that is like, we consume so much, um, and in seconds, right? Like scrolling through Instagram, going like watching videos, watching TV, we consume a lot and we don't really realize what goes on in the background to create that one moment of our entertainment. And so this is you actively trying to, and that's not an easy path. Like it's hard to educate yourself on that. It's not comfortable. It's not. And I think social media and everything in the internet has made it so much more difficult. Uh, animal selfies are a hot trend, which mm. is, you know, especially with movie stars. And that is setting a really bad precedent. Um, I always saw uh, a picture of a woman hugging a tiger and everybody was circulating it and saying, oh, look at the bond. Well, the tiger, first of all, was not hugging the woman. He had she jumped up and grabbed the woman and somebody had snapshot. What people don't realize is that woman was killed and partially consumed by that tiger several years later later. Oh my gosh. Her working pet tiger. And so when we see selfies and we see these adorable Instagram photos, they are a snapshot in time. And a tiger or a cougar or a bobcat lives 20 years or more in captivity. In captivity. And to expect that in the 20 to 25 year lifespan, they're never going to act like a tiger. They're never going to get scared. They're never going to want to um, be assertive. That's just the expectation is false. And then they pay the price when they do act like the species they are. And so I really, we really in the sanctuary industry frown upon selfies with exotic animals, tiger cubs or anything else, because the biggest thing driving what we call the captive wildlife crisis, which is the overpopulation of tigers, lions, primates in captivity Mm -hmm. outside zoo systems, is selfies and cub petting exhibits. Because the USDA, which licensed these commercial people that are bringing these tiger cubs out, um, only allow public contact with these animals for these photo ops for eight to eight, between eight and twelve weeks old. 
So these exhibitors are making money, thousands of dollars, having people get their picture taken at the auto show with a tiger cub, but they can only have four weeks of that profit. So that has incentivized them, sadly, to breed like a puppy mill the amount of tigers or lions for photo ops. And then what happens to the animals? That's the question nobody asks. Yeah. And... Sadly, they end up in private hands. They end up at horrible roadside zoos. They live squandering life in a cage. They can be parted out for the medicinal trade illegally. And only a few end up at sanctuaries. And so we need people to stop and say, but that ti- it's just a tiger cub. How harmful is it for me to get my photo op at you know, the, the resort we're going to? Mm-hmm. It's huge because I will tell you, If you sat down with any child who wants to hold a tiger cub and they knew what that future hold for that tiger cub in captivity, those kids are so compassionate, they wouldn't want that photo. Right. Right. And it's the same thing when we talk about traveling circuses. When kids actually get explained how tigers that live in circuses live, children don't want to see tigers in circuses anymore. So I'm hoping maybe... As adults and as teenagers with social media influence, we can listen to our kid at heart. And that's where we know we want more compassion for animals. Yeah, to be responsible knowing that there's a demand and we need to stop that demand. Right, Right. because it's instant gratification. Somebody puts a cute eight-week-old tiger cub in your arms. There's no one that isn't going to think that's a special, adorable experience. But then you have to look at it from the animal's perspective. You're one of maybe 100 people that held that tiger cub that day for four weeks straight, and then now it has no monetary value at 12 weeks. What do you think that exhibitor is going to do with it? Right. And so are many of the animals that you have here, um, sorry, residents, right? You yeah, call them residents. Yeah, call them residents. Um, are many of the residents you have here from these kind of exotic puppy mills? Cub petting. We do have um, Pandora. Uh, we call the Tiger Trio, trio Zeke. Um, Dimitri and Griffin, you'll get to meet them today, all came from Cub Petting. They're not the only ones, but they're kind of our poster childs. Uh, actually, a few years ago, there was a Cub Petting operation in Colorado. They had over 70 breeding big cats on about 10 acres. Oh. And uh, they it's a place that had notorious animal welfare violations for years and years and years and was never shut down. And they were an open-to-the-public facility that allowed Cub Petting, but they also provided cubs to other operations and exhibits for cub petting and they had so many violations under their license they were licensed by the federal government but on several occasions probably for about 10 years they weren't even meeting the minimum requirements of care or safety but they received violations and fines but they still got their permit renewed which is another problem we have Um, the founder ended up being terminally ill and looking for another exhibitor to take over his operation. Luckily, uh, a really reputable sanctuary decided to go in under the table and offer to step in, (laughs) thinking that uh, the owner thinking that his operation would take over. And when they took it over, they ethically dispersed uh, all of these 70 cats to reputable sanctuaries. Okay, good. But um, when you look at the family tree, the inbreeding, the amount of cubs that were going out, um, and that's just one place. We um, Just recently, yesterday, we had some good news is one of the biggest animal traffickers. His name's Joe Exotic, he goes by. I saw that. Received a 22-year federal sentence. 
Um, and sadly, only four of those years were for his animal trafficking, which is he had 250 breeding tigers at a time and cub petting. The other was he had uh, done two murder for hire plots on another sanctuary director who had been speaking out against cub petting. Oh my gosh. So, um, this is an insane this world. Is, this is an insane world. But I think when you look at um, anything from dogs or cats, which people are really familiar with, and you look at humans that do mistreat animals, there's also a connection of mistreating humans and connections mm-hmm. a lot of times to um, other illegal activities and especially in the exotic animal trade the exotic animal trade is only second to the illegal drug trade in terms of dollars in the united states so when we think we're shutting down somebody that's just overbreeding tigers they're usually doing some other um unsavory things too and it can be dangerous in our world um but then on the other side we work with people that just decided they loved animals so much that they wanted a connection and having a connection with a wild animal would bring them so much joy and they naively went out and purchased a tiger cub or a lynx and they do that like the internet has made it easy to do anything and similar to um, other illegal trades when you were the buyer so what happens is these these tiger mills are permitted to sell tigers, but the person buying isn't legal to buy. Okay. The legal system sadly goes and prosecutes the owner and seizes the individual pet, but the breeder still has his license to breed. And it's, it's the same thing we've seen in um, drug trade and things like that. You're getting the small guys. So getting this gentleman convicted was big because he was one of the top-notch tiger mills in the country. Um, And so we're hoping it sets precedent for other animal traffickers to realize that there is going to be consequences when they do this. And I think what's confusing for the public is when you hear animal trafficker, everybody thinks like poaching and overseas. In our world today, it looks a lot different. An animal trafficker looks like you and me. Mm -hmm. They have a khaki shirt on with some patches. They look like they're a forest ranger. They're at your county fair setting up with tiger cubs on leashes and a homemade sign for photo ops. Mm -hmm. They don't look like this mean, horrible person. But when they're doing that all over the country and how many cubs need to be out on display at a time to make a living, that population gets out of control really quickly. And when they don't have monetary value, they aren't getting cared for. Wow. So when you acquire these animals um, from what from private private collectors or um, owners or from these um, these cub petting organizations, uh, when they come here, how are they different from those animals if they were in the wild? So like basically, if you were to take one of the lions here and a lion that's in the wild and then maybe like a lion in a reputable zoo, Mm -hmm. they all are very different. Is that correct? Absolutely. So um, just like with any living being, an animal is not only nurture and nature, Mm. right? So you have to look at when an animal comes to us, we have to look at what species they are and what they need. But a tiger is not a tiger is not a tiger. A tiger coming from an abusive situation like Nikita, a white tiger who was chained down for photo opportunities for 10 years with flashes in her face, has a very different response to cameras and people she doesn't know and even water because we know she was sprayed with water hose to keep her in line. Then uh, cub heading 
tiger that might be really imprinted on humans. I don't say bonded. I don't say, you know, they might be social, social in terms of a tiger, not in terms of a dog or cat. They have very different needs at our sanctuary and we accommodate them as individuals. So yes, there is, they all look like orange tigers and white tigers, but their behavioral needs, their mental needs, and then their physical needs might be very different. Um, Some come declawed and have terrible debilitating arthritis. Others don't. Some have had metabolic bone disease from having poor diets. You know, others are super healthy physically, but they're broken emotionally, and we need to treat that in a different way. So here at the sanctuary, they have indoor and outdoor areas because we're taking in species that are not native to Minnesota winters. Right. <laughs> um, but I also remind people we're not usually, you know, our cats are not coming from the wild. They're coming from a 10 by 10 corn crib or cage in a backyard. Mm-hmm. And then we're giving them space, um, as much space as we can in the northern woods. Um, and so they might have caves to play in, perches to jump on. They have enrichment. They can run. They actually get some of their freedoms back to make their own choice. But sadly, they're still at a sanctuary here, and we still have to have humans care for them. So we are bringing them their food, and we are providing on-site medical care. And so we can't give them back every freedom, but we really try to give them back their choices during the day Mm -hmm. to be and discover again that they're a tiger alliance. Some take two minutes to discover they're a tiger again. (laughs) Others take longer. And then we also introduce them to companionship of their own kind um, so that they have um, some quality of life because they will be living the rest of their life in captivity. So some of them then are able to live in the same enclosures with others. We really prefer social groups, but again, individualized care is really what we do. So we will tell you, um, this is kind of a joke, but we've learned if you neuter a male... They seem to do anything you want. (laughs) Our females tend to be way more independent. So when you go to her, you will see a lot of females living alone um, because we try play dates. There's a few play dates still here on the radio today after cats have lived along a shared wall and shown no aggression and showed interest in each other. um, Then we'll do a play date and see how that goes Uh, with a small cat like a domestic Bengal. Not too stressful when we're doing play dates with lions or tigers tigers that can be very stressful and we have a whole safety plan in place and then they get to choose if that companion and it's not always a romantic companion because we spay and neuter just Mm -hmm. like any shelter but it's just another stimuli during a day in the life at a sanctuary and living behind fences yeah um and that's another question i know that your goal here is to make as natural an environment for these animals, kind of give them the freedom they didn't have uh, with as little human interference as necessary, right? Um, however, you do spay and neuter, and I know that there are, you have to treat a myriad of issues, especially physical problems, yes. as these animals are admitted to your sanctuary. Um, how do you approach a topic of saying, you know, maybe medically treating them could feel invasive. Um, Is there any kind of pushback on that at all? I don't think um, that is so much pushback, but people do talk about, like when we give them enrichment things to do, it might be a box. A tiger in the wild is probably not playing with a box, right? (laughs) Right. So we have to look at captivity of how do we bring out their natural behaviors in an unnatural environment. So playing with a pumpkin 
they can sink their teeth into it, claws into it. So they're dragging it much like they might drag prey in the wild. Mm -hmm. And so we're bringing out a natural behavior in an unnatural way, but the animal's still getting that natural benefit. So it is kind of a creative game. Um, And then with medical, we feel that we owe the animals that live at the sanctuary the best medical and diet to make them as physically comfortable as possible. They should not feel pain because of a declaw. Um, They live much longer in captivity they do in the wild. So you're going to see old age in cats, (laughs) like a lot of oldies but goodies walking around. And our thing is it's about the quality of days, not the quantity of days. Mm -hmm. So we want to treat any pain and discomfort and be preventative because um, that can cause a lot of discomfort in captivity. So we don't do anything for research. Everything we do is benefit. Um, Spay and neuter for the obvious reason, just like in shelters. We don't want to create more animals to live their life in cages. That's not our goal. You don't want to perpetuate a problem. Right. And also, unspayed animals um, that are not breeding have a higher risk of cancers and infections and pyometra, which is emergency surgeries to correct and life-threatening. And life-threatening surgery on a tiger is invasive. There's no way around it um, and very scary. And so the more we can prevent that, um, we're going to put those protocols in place. Oh, I wasn't aware. So it's like, like medically very helpful. For yep, them. just like it is your dogs and cats. So even if you aren't breeding your dog and cat, spay and neuter, spay and neuter, um, because health reasons benefits alone, not just for reproduction. Okay. Could you tell us a little bit more about some of the like positive interactions that occur between the humans, the volunteers working here, um, maybe like a day in the life of a volunteer here? Yeah. Um, and most of our volunteers are hands off with the animals. They're helping the facility in general, grounds work, habitat construction. But our caretakers in our intern program are our animal caregivers. Okay. And so we get a lot of questions um, for what interaction do you have with cats? And then when cats that have been privately owned come to you and you're hands off, is that hard on them? Mm. And so I'd like to address both of that as we are a no contact facility, which means we're not going in with a full grown tiger and treating it like a pet. Sure. But that meaning, meaning we're a non-contact facility does not mean we ignore our animals and we just let them out in a habitat and they get no attention. It's absolutely the opposite. Our job is to give them the tools to make a good life for themselves. So for example, um, we have cats that are nervous around new people. We will read them books out loud and and sit still and calmly and get them used to our presence. Um, we always say we have to get the ones that have been through tough situations to neutral before we can build a positive relationship. Mm. Um, and so we do enrichment all the time. Our caretakers, as you walk around, will talk to these cats. Um, they have what they call a, a respect And of course they love them, but they don't love them like a dog or cat. And they're not always loved back, right? We have cats that are, have no interest in humans and that's okay. We love them for who they individually are. Um, And then we do what we do is operant conditioning program. So you might hear that in zoos and the word training can feel negative, but really what it is at a sanctuary is it is a positive training tool to get voluntary cooperation of the animal to decrease stress. So that means if we have an animal that has diabetes and needs to get insulin. Do we want to sedate a big cat and give insulin? That is invasive. That is a hardship. Mm -hmm. But if we can positively reward that cat to coming up and leaning against the fence every day, um, then that is a lot less stressful for the cat and they get a big bonus prize at the end um, for taking the medicine. Uh, Same thing as going into a transfer crate so we wouldn't have to net 
or sedate them to move them to a bigger, more beautiful habitat that donors helped us build. So um, all of these are about getting their voluntary cooperation and making it not stressful. And at any given time, there's animals that are, you know, cats are cats, no matter the size, (laughs) that are super cooperative and others that are definitely smarter than us that says, try something bigger or better if you want me, um, you know, to make that effort to walk over there. So uh, that's kind of how we really work. And it helps with medical procedures, moves um, when cats are older and need more care and medication and oversight. They're not stressed by it. It's part of their daily routine. Sure, especially um, helps with logistics of, we had talked previously about how um, sanctuaries like these have strong networks between them. Yes. And with that comes probably transportation. Yes. And every rescue is, we're picking up animals, moving them across country. Um, And it's awesome when we work in a network of sanctuaries, as you talked about, not being open to the public. So we don't do public tours at our sanctuary. We're able to take in the cases that other sanctuaries call us and say, this animal has really had a hard time with people. I think you're a really good facility to let that animal heal. And in a year, that animal might be happy to see people or just happy to see its caretakers it knows. But then you might get an animal that's really friendly or a huge, large group of animals and our open habitats at the space aren't the best to accommodate that rescue call. And we'll network back to another sanctuary that has free roaming pens. Sure. Yeah. And another question we get is, so when they do come from a pet environment, does it set them back or are they depressed that they're not getting interaction? Most cases, the answer is no, because the animals are wild animals. So when people say a bond is formed, I look at it as a a natural imprinting process that happens at a young age. People see it on modern family and cartoons with ducks and things we see on TV shows where during a time they will imprint on the human or other animal they're with, but they don't often reprint imprint again Mm -hmm. so they don't necessarily because they wanted their owner's attention they look at us and don't necessarily want our attention in the same way they like us to feed them and give them food and build them a new platform but they're not looking for us to cuddle or love them and that's also when we will introduce them to companionship of their own kind so they do get interaction Um, we have cats that are social that love every person they meet again, in terms of a tiger. So people say, well, if that tiger's so friendly, why don't you just pet it? Well, a tiger's friendly in terms of a tiger Mm -hmm. and how they have social cues and how they interact with each other is very different than how humans interact. Tigers don't shake hands. They don't hug. (laughs) They headbutt. um, They also roughhouse. They bite each other. They I mean, if you have two dogs in your house and you see them wrestle and what they do to each other is play and um, nice behavior could hurt and harm and kill a human and then the tiger pays the price so we always look at it from the animal's perspective not our human needs but what the animal needs yes exactly it's really easy to see oh uh, this is a nice cat I can go and touch it well maybe let the cat come to you right like (laughs) like, let them have the choice and that's the whole point of this kind of it's like grassroot activism that you guys do here actually and I think part of it is training people because when we love animals and we see these exhibits and we see these cute things on Instagram nobody's evil right Right. these general public when they bring their child to hold a tiger cub is not an evil person it's just the lack of awareness Mm. of the bigger issue that we're contributing to and I think what we've seen it with dogs and cats and um, even wildlife the world is changing and some people say for the worst, I say for the better, because what I have saw 20 years ago on how animals were treated, and I see how people come together now, it's amazing. Yeah. 
people tell me, how can you do this? It would break my heart. And I said, it takes, when I go pick up a starving animal that's been left in a kennel outside and no longer being looked at by the owner because that cougar, um, her name was Hope, wouldn't allow interaction anymore. Um, And all her siblings had passed away of starvation and she was the lone survivor. How do I not lose faith in humanity? Because it took one person to lock her in a cage and not feed her, but it took the neighbor to call. It took the authorities to act. It took the media to tell her story. It took our donors to come forward. I look at how many people rallied to save that cougar named Hope, and it only took one to do the damage. So people are better than we think they are, and those are the people I want to celebrate, surround myself with, and then educate the ones that are a little neutral and don't know now and bring more people to the good side. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And then it it kind of empowers us that we can do something too. And, And And though it's really easy to click like on something that we don't think about, well, we still have the power in us to help situations where something might be sour or something might be abusive. Um, So, and and along this kind of line, you had mentioned that this isn't an open sanctuary. So that's a conscious decision. and, And I'm really... I was really happy and surprised to see that. I see that some sanctuaries do allow maybe safaris is what some are called or public tours um, that can certainly help with funding um, and with public education. Yes. But uh, could you take us through why you made this decision that's probably not very popular and probably a difficult one (laughs) to make? Not being open to the public is hard to raise money because people don't get to come through. We don't get gate fees we don't get gift shop sales um you know a lot of people don't are a leap of faith giving us money and not seeing the animals live luckily social media allows them to be with us on live posts every day Mm -hmm. without invasively seeing the animals um and it was a hard decision but our mission is really always about the animal and that is an unselfish love, which is so hard because I'm an animal lover. Um, and so, uh, and it's hard on days where people don't get to see what a day in the life is like, not only for the animals here, but the caretakers. But we want to be able to take in those that don't have other options. Mm. And so a socialized, well, and you'll meet some today, socialized, happy, could go to any sanctuary and do just fine. But when those really need the quiet time, and a year of just being left alone to feel more confident about their own decisions. And I look at Sabrina um, and Nikita, the two tigers. Sabrina was found in Texas after her owner passed away, was alone, um, emaciated. Authorities didn't know what to do with a tiger, and she was actually walking around a fenced yard. So she was hogtied, sedated, and put in a horse trailer for 10 days till they figured out what to do with her. And we got a call. We don't know what type of tiger Sabrina was before that incident, but I've never met a more fractious, I will never say aggressive, because this is a tiger that is in survival mode because it is so scared of any human being. Mm -hmm. Um, And she would attack the fence when she came, and she would self-mutilate. And there was no way she could go to an open-to-the-public facility, even a reputable one, because humans were her negative trigger. And so we gave her wide-open space, we gave her indoor-outdoor rooms, and we didn't see her 
for a very long time, which is hard, we set up trail cameras so we weren't invasive, so we knew she was walking through the habitat. We know the food we, she placed was gone. And when we started getting her to neutral, where we learned that if we sat down quietly with the book we talked about, she hated that. Very different. <laughs> Another cat would like it because that was focus on her. Mm-hmm. So when we mowed the lawn and drove by on the golf carts, she was out and about and it didn't bother her. So we really quickly learned that as long as she wasn't the focus, she was fine with people around. So guess what? More golf carts. We mowed when mowing wasn't needed on the riding lawnmower to get her used to us and to get her to neutral to a day. Then we did operant conditioning and she will sit down for a food bowl and a bonus bowl so we can see how she is health-wise. She still does not love people but she is not fearful of us and she knows that she's safe and will cooperate with husbandry so we can give her medical care we can make sure she's okay we can clean her habitat and to me it's a beautiful story because she doesn't need to love us both our trail cams and security system we can see she's had a good quality of life even if humans are still her trigger that's a beautiful way also at looking at the social behavior and the intelligence of these animals too i think when I've gone to zoos or, you know, some kind of exhibit, you see them between glass, right? Mm-hmm. And you, and they're almost, um, to borrow a word from, from Jared at Iowa Farm Sanctuary about cows that you see as you drive down the road, they're kind of robotic. Yeah. And we view them as not really having anything going on. They, it, it, right? It's the they're just, farthest from the truth. Yeah, yeah. That she would, that she would be okay with us as long as we're not looking at her, not paying attention to her. That shows a level of intelligence that we rarely attribute to animals. And there's these small nuances. Um, We've had cats that I swear, you know, if you do the police sketch on a perpetrator, that based on the reaction of the people that this cat has seen and the positive versus negative, I could do a sketch of what (laughs) that previous owner probably looked like that did not treat that animal very well. Because whether it's a hat, whether it's facial hair, whether it's Mm -hmm. a deep voice, how tall they are, Um, And so part of that is that operant conditioning is not to, um, it's to rehabilitate them. So giving an animal a lot of stress is not great, but giving them small stressors to cope with is good. I look at it um, a lot like, uh, you know, an abused child or something. Uh, The unknown is scary for humans, right? Sometimes staying in a bad situation, whether it's a relationship or a job, is easier than jumping to the unknown. Mm. When I've observed animals, it's very similar too. They might not have been treated or have more than a 10 by 10 space to turn around where they came from. And if you've had a domestic cat that you've adopted, you know change is hard for cats. Um, (laughs) But that was new. That was wonderful to them. So I also think people think we're going to open up the gate at the sanctuary and they're going to frolic through the tall grass or the snow and be like, thank you. That's not the case. They need a lot of time to adjust, some faster than others, and we need to work with them, and we need to let them heal in their own time, and being closed to the public allows us to give them that freedom of the time they need. Right. It's consistent with everything else you stand yeah. for. Yeah. Um, I think most listeners are going to be convicted by this topic, I think, because all of us have benefited from the public education or the entertainment of animals. Um, most of us have been to zoos. We've been to SeaWorld. We've even had exotic animals come to the classroom, right? Yep. Um, and so if I'm being honest, it's hard not to be kind of drawn or enamored by the idea of touching them, taking pictures with them. Like we've talked about selfies. Um, clearly that's like instant gratification. And, you know, certainly there's very different 
and strong perspectives on the benefits and the harms of zoos and, um, you know, their conservation efforts, but also captivity. And then, you know, there's a lot to unpack in that discussion. Um, but one thing seems to be clear, and it's the more that we see animals as a prop, maybe the easier it is to pretend like our actions don't have any consequences. I think that's very true is we don't want to know the other side because what you know, you cannot unknow. And that Mm -hmm. is that that's can be the hardest thing in this world, right? Because you, every zoo isn't bad. Every person that buys or adopts, however they want to say it, a lynx is not a horrible person. Right. Um, They're not all the puppy mill, tiger mill, bad breeders and dealers out there abusing animals. It's again, being enough to be self-reflective of, why do I want to buy this African serval, which is one of the largest pets right now? Mm. Um, is it for the cat or is it for you? And for the first two years of its life as a kitten, it's going to seem happy, lovely, wonderful. There's not a baby out there that hopefully isn't happy. But do you know the proper diet? I mean, 80% of the servals we get have metal- metabolic bone disease and have huge health issues. and Because of the breeding? Because No, process. because of the diet the owner oh. gives. And we hear it's bad breeding. No, it's because you didn't know. Um, or do you know your homeowner's insurance is going to drop you for having an exotic animal? <laughs> what if this animal bites your neighbor and now the animal's getting destroyed by authorities? Um, the animal ingests something and needs a blockage. Do you have a vet that will see the animal? Right. When you go on vacation who's going to take care there's so many more so the idea of owning an exotic animal is way more glamorous than the reality um and so it's so hard with those impulses and so when people say well should we i'll never take my kids to zoos no we don't need to swing the pendulum too far Mm. um we need to make each choice a better choice so if i'm going to go to a zoo and I don't know the zoo, can I Google the zoo and look at their USDA paperwork? Can I choose a reputable zoo like the Minnesota Zoo and go there? Like, how do we each make a better choice or stop and say, what is the bigger concern around this and how do I make a better choice? Um, When we look at animal circuses, 10 years ago, people hated us and said we were so extreme for not wanting tigers and circuses and that we are the livelihood of all this was going to go away. Cirque du Soleil has proven that we don't need tigers and cages to build a viable business. Um, And also that conservation is such a strange term people throw around because breeding tigers to live in traveling circuses is not (laughs) conservation not one of those tigers have any value to the wild population where accredited zoos do do conservation work so i think people shouldn't feel guilty about what they do but they should just think a little more of what the ramification is outside of my gratification for any animal i'm engaging with whether it's a goat or a horse and and i think we'll all make better decisions little by little. Oh, yeah. And to think of it not just, like you said, not just zoos, but petting zoos, Mm -hmm. um, renaissance festivals, rodeos. There's all of these different ways that we interact with animals, and it's not just about a zoo. (laughs) Right, and and there's positive interactions as well as negative. And so um, we look at if you love tigers, there is a way to get your passion fulfilled and better the lives of tigers besides going and holding a tiger cub at an auto show. Mm. And so we can still fit fit our human needs, but how do we fit our human needs and then bettering the lives of those around us, whether it be human or animal? And I think it's way more gratifying. I mean, my 
I rescue big cats, but I have a little dog here that I just took in, <laughs> and I'm a cat person <laughs> by heart. But, you know, adopting a rescue dog from a reservation um, that was a stray, like, this has brought so much gratification. And I, I could have went and bought from a pet store. I could have bought from a big breeder, uh, you know. And the thing is, she's the most perfect animal I've ever met. I've only had her five days. And yeah. She was an adoption. And so we always say, keep the wild in your heart, not your home. If you need to fill it with an animal, fill it with an appropriate pet. Right. Adopt, don't shop. I mean, uh, there isn't any animal out there, dog or cat, that you can find from a rescue group. And if you really want an exotic animal, do not go to a breeder. Um, I look at if you bought a car... Would you only listen to the car salesman? Because if I hear one more time somebody trying to surrender, the breeder told me, the breeder told me, the breeder didn't tell me, I went, and the breeder's selling something. Right. There are so many resources through sanctuaries, through zoos, through others that you can actually learn what real life would be like yeah. and why that's probably not a good fit for you and the animal. And those are honest and in the best interest of the animal. Yes. And you. Yes. <laughs> and I will tell you, the people that have surrendered their animals that aren't legal seizures, they are heartbroken. Mm. So not only is this animal who imprints and is a wild animal caught between two worlds, life turned upside down again and coming to a sanctuary, no matter how good we think we're providing that animal, that animal's world is turned upside down. But so is that owner's. That owner has a sense of failure, a sense of loss. They let that animal down. What did they do? And they're heartbroken. So it rarely ends good for both the animal and person. So if we can educate and prevent that from happening on all levels, um, I think it's a win-win. That's awesome. And those are really good practical measures that listeners can take too. Um, beyond that, is there ways that we can help Wildcat Sanctuary or other sanctuaries like you? Absolutely. Uh, all sanctuaries have volunteer programs. And so if you look at wildcatsanctuary.org, um, um, we also, if you want to know who the good guys and the bad guys are, there's the Big Cat Sanctuary Alliance and the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries that accredits um, all of us. Um, it, everything's out there publicly. You can find out that you're helping a good cause. Uh, donations always help, uh, monetary donations of any kind. You can sponsor animals. Uh, you can give to certain programs, which is great. And then we are trying to pass a federal law called the Big Cat um, Big Cat and Public Safety Act. And so we always say make the call of the wild and let your legislators know that you want a federal bill that helps these animals across all states that prevents future big cat breeding in private hands. It obviously exempts the conservation breeding, but it would stop this flood of cub petting cubs being born without a good place for them to go. Yeah. And we're having worked on in the state legislature. It's really easy to contact your representative, your senator, um, whether state or federal. Uh, It's just an email, just a phone call. And if you see something you don't like, so these traveling exhibits, we call it whack-a-mole, if you've ever played that game as a child, (laughs) is by the time they get here, right, on a Saturday or Sunday, people are outraged. They want to do something, but the exhibit is done on Sunday and moves out. And then the local econ or legislators or townships are like, oh, yeah, we're not going to do anything about that because they're gone. But guess what? They're just going to another community. So Mm -hmm. also know as soon as you hear of somebody bringing... I mean, there's bear wrestling that's horrible and unheard of. There's white tiger exhibits, you know, going on and bringing to every local county fair. You know, if you see something or a county fair coming that has an animal exhibit that doesn't feel right, 
write a letter to the editor. Your voice as an individual civilian means so much. You don't know. I cannot underestimate it. You don't need to know all the legal mumbo jumbo language right from the heart that this is not right, that your community deserves better. Deserves better. Give them another option of a more humane way of bringing family entertainment into the county um, because they know how we feel. They know how the big organizations feel and they don't care. We're not their constituents. So do not ever underestimate what one person can do, one letter can do, one phone call can do. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for your time. It was so nice to meet you, Tammy. Well, thank you. And we hope to get you out to meet some of the residents. Oh, I'm so excited. Hi, this is Reed Nelson from Vegan East, an all vegan bakery in Minneapolis and White Bear Lake. Come try our cinnamon rolls, cookies, cakes, and cupcakes. Thanks for listening to Seeing Animals.